Welcome, gamers, to Basement Arcade Pause Menu, the show where we hit pause, sit back, and just chill. I'm your host, Ben Magnet, and today on the show, I have someone here on the show who is start who started an endeavor and is about 20 or so projects into it. We'll get into the very nitty-gritty details of it, but please welcome to the show the founding editor and publisher of Boss Fight Books, Gabe. Gabe, welcome to the show. How are you today, sir? Yes, thanks for the hype, Ben. I'm doing great. Yeah, I mean, well... To be uh, listeners and watchers of the show know that I love video games. I love books. I love reading. I write for two video game magazines, a video uh, Nintendo centric website. And I am just going to flat out tell you right off the bat. It is also my dream to get my own video game book published someday. So I'm nice. just so it is. So the fact that you're actually you have a company or you work for a company that does exactly that uh, audio listeners. I'm holding up a copy of Final Fantasy five by Chris, uh, Chris Kohler from boss fight books is absolutely like oh essentially like the the clouds have part and the and the sun rays have glistened upon boss fight books but gabe before we get started about boss fight what boss fight's all about and how you started the company every single time i have a new guest on the show i always ask them what got you into video games whoa um Okay, the, the earliest was um, receiving for Christmas uh, a, a joint gift w- with my older sister was the NES mm. that came with uh, Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. I was nice. a little young for Mario, uh, multiple buttons, uh, but Duck Hunt suited me just fine until I like yeah. got up the courage to start controlling a, a little dude around the screen. Oh, yeah. I mean, Duck Hunt is simple. It's just point and click. When I was a kid, I remember my mom would go to Ikea and we had just moved houses. So we were going to Ikea a lot. And they had um, like, you know, that little kids play area where the parents can drop off the kids. They could go play around while the parents did the shopping. Yeah. And they had an NES and it was either Duck Hunt or Super Mario Brothers. Just like we didn't really know about Super Mario Bros because Duck Hunt is just easy. You take a zapper and point and shoot. Isn't that wild? Like there were places like Ikea that just had video game console systems in the wild. Um, I went to uh, Maine uh, over the summer to visit my family. And there was this bar and restaurant that had a little like cubby corner area that was a TV, N64, and about like 10 cartridges just kind of sprawled around there for like anyone who wanted to use it. And my nephew's uh, had had never played an N64 before, so they were getting their introduction. Um, so so we we played a little Mario Kart, or uh, <laughs> I instructed my <laughs> nephew through some some Mario Kart. Oh, they were going to learn. They learned that day on uh, Mario Kart. Uh, my nephew, my stepsister, and my nephews, and my my nieces too. Um, one of their goals in life is to beat me in Mario Kart. Yeah. They haven't done it yet, <laughs> and I refuse to let them win. Man. I mean, unfortunately, if if they're if <laughs> if they're young and getting older, it's pretty soon they're gonna ha- have have that twitchy controller sense that uh, yeah. you and I are just aging out of daily. Yeah, yeah, we are, but <laughs> but you but mean, you've got experience. I, I do. I, I yeah. it's one of those things that where it's where. You, it's like I don't want to say like the get off my lawn thing because it's definitely not that because I want my younger uh, my younger family members to get into video games and su- and such. But it's always funny when they talk about it's like oh do you know about like I used to work at a toy store back in the day, and one day this little kid comes in the store he looks at me I'm working behind the counter and he's like hey do you you probably don't know anything about this but uh, do you have any Pokemon. And I look at this child like uh, <laughs> I'm this close to quoting the line in which Rojo's like. Do not cite the deep magic to me. 
I was there when it was written. And yeah, I'm like, <laughs> yes, I yeah. do know about You're Pokemon. kind of like, I've been waiting for this moment, child. <laughs> you I'm need like, to come back here once a week and I will school you. <laughs> it's like small, small child. Do I know about Pokemon? I've been collecting char. I've been raising Charizards to level 99 since before you were born. I was there in the exactly. beginning, but yeah, it's, but even going back to your comment about how it's just crazy to see sometimes video game systems in the wild, there was a bowling alley close to my house and in, you know, bowling alley has a bar connected to it, but inside the bar, they had an N64 hooked up. You, if you wanted to change out the games, you had to go to the bar and it was just there for controllers. And one day my friends and I were, we were there, we were supposed to be there for like a karaoke night. We didn't do a whole lot of karaoke because we were too busy playing Mario Kart. Yeah, it's just like they recreated an old living room for you. And what are you going to do? Pass it up. Um, my, here's, no. my, <laughs> here's my other memory. So in Los Angeles, uh, specifically in Culver City, there, uh, there was until about four or five years ago, a very famous McDonald's because way up high above the, the golden arches, above everything else, was a sign that said Nintendo 64. And they just, I think it was so high that they crunched the numbers and were like, you know, the promotion's long over. I mean, long over, maybe like 20 years over. Let's just leave it up. Until finally, finally, somebody made the call that like, maybe that was making promises no. that they couldn't deliver. But, but in Nintendo 64, I feel like at that point, that's just like the famous McDonald's is like, hey, do you want to go to McDonald's or do you want to go to the Nintendo McDonald's? Yeah. And even well, though it's just a simple sign, I mean, did they have, do they still have like the N64? Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's all, no, it, uh, th those, those were long gone. So it was just okay. the sign. So it was really just there to, to set people up for excitement and then disappointment. You know what? Okay. Yeah. I kind of get it. Cause if I were to go to the Mac that McDonald's, I would expect the old, uh, like the classic McDonald's play place, like N64 setup where the TV yeah. was inside, the controllers were sticking out. Yeah. Gross it, controller. It's like yeah. covered, it's like covered in plastic, but then the plastic is black. Yeah. Or even worse, you got like someone like ripped barbecue sauce on because they're trying to eat their big nuggets while they're playing Smash Bros <laughs> or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Looking back on those times, how we didn't die of diseases, I'm astonished about it. Because now I would like <laughs> we were touching like, everything. We were rubbing I, our eyes. Couldn't stop rubbing my eyes. Nowadays, nowadays, I would probably if I go to one of those places, I would probably take a bath of Purell just to be safe. Yeah. Now we've we've all gotten a a real education that in the power is, of Purell, yeah, especially recently. But uh -huh. we're not talking about that stuff. We are talking <laughs> about keeping it fun, keeping it light. Yeah, yeah keeping it fun, keeping it light. So. You are like you like I said earlier. You are the editor, the founding editor and publisher of Boss Fight Books. Now I know. Now just a little peek behind the curtain, inside baseball here. Gabe and I have actually been talking before we decided to do the show because I will be writing an article not only about about Boss Fight Books, but three of the books that you were so kind to send me in Old School Gamer Magazine. That is coming up in the November um, edition. So when this episode goes up, it will keep an eye on that because I'm know this will be up before november because that's as the day where we're recording this it's officially spooky month hallelujah yeah uh, i love the spooky time but i know because i know i sent you some questions but also i'm gonna i will kind of repeat myself i apologize but i also I'll try to I, give totally new answers totally new answers it's like <laughs> it's like complete uh <laughs> sorry i so there are days when i get excited i just i just go my brain is like going in overdrive no i feel you. but but how 
did Boss Fight Books get started? Yes. So uh, we're talking 2013. Um, mm-hmm. I had recently moved back to Los Angeles. Um, I'd been studying writing. Uh, I'd done like a fiction MFA. I'd been teaching some college classes, but was not uh, feeling like the market was very good to like really go hard and try to get full-time professor uh, jobs. And so uh, I just had that that sense of like, what's next, what's next? And I was trying a lot of things out and and just kind of reading widely, including, um, you know, checking out like, what were the available books on the history of video games, just because that's fun, you know, and I was mm-hmm. enjoying kind of reliving my childhood. And what I noticed was there's some really cool books, but they were all really vast industry histories that got into like the entire history of Nintendo or the entire history of games up to this point uh, in general, uh, which is cool and very like necessary part of things, but they didn't ever take the time to go in deep into uh, a single game or, or to really like get into the story of a game's development or deep dive criticism, that kind of thing, because there just wasn't time. There wasn't space on the page. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, uh, I'd been discovering like the 33 and a third books about albums. And uh, I'd seen, uh, you know, several other series like that, where it's like, shortish books that were going to get into everything you'd ever want to know about topic X. And I just think those are cool because it really offers you a chance to dig deep and also, you know, kind of use the topic as a prism to look at the whole world and how people interact with it and like the, 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 just people in general. And so I, uh, was starting to put those ideas together. And, and usually when I have ideas like this, I just go online and uh, Google it. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff that I just didn't know existed yet because I, I hadn't found it. In this case, it was really coming up short. Um, like I just wasn't finding anything that was doing the thing in my head. So I started making notes about it, started talking to friends about it. Um, one of those friends uh, was a guy named Ken Bauman, who uh, he was excited about the idea. He really saw the potential in it. And he was like, if you do it, I'll write a book for you. And he he's a great writer. So that was uh, sort of an exciting mutual dare. And then as we were talking about like aesthetics, he also uh, offered to design some of the first books that we were uh, going to come out with. So he uh, signed on uh, as cover designer too. So the idea f- from there was reach out to some writers, figure out what books they want to write, like what's what what game would they write about if they could, and then present that to everyone in, in a big Kickstarter. So that's what we did. We announced um, the the first five books, uh, which uh, eventually became the, the first six books because we uh, added one, which was uh, the, we do a thing every time we, we do a big Kickstarter where uh, people can let us know what game they most want to read a book about and then mm-hmm. we'll tally votes. And so so during that first one, they said Chrono Trigger, which was a fabulous mm-hmm. choice. So those became the first six books uh, was was that uh, series one Kickstarter. And luckily people got the vision. They were excited about it. And so that really got us up and running. Having the money to pay for the printing and just all the like startup costs of of having a new business and floating us a little bit while we were working on the books and for years, it's just kind of been that that same model of checking in with people and being like, okay, well, are you still having fun? Do you, <laughs> you want to read some more books? And so we like worked toward a second season and, and funded that and then toward a third season. 
Um, at this point, we're able to look a little further into the future. Um, so last, toward the end of last year, we had a really great uh, open reading period, and we got some fabulous pitches. Um, and usually, we have to be even more selective just because of some of that I was talking about. It was like being like not so sure, you know, <laughs> wanting to make sure that we could deliver on everything we promised. And this time we were like, you know what? We've been doing this for almost 10 years now. We've got, uh, you know, 30 or so books out at the time. Let's just, uh, let, let's just take all the best ones. And so now we've got uh, a bunch of books in development. Um, but each one's about a individual video game gets into, history of the game, uh, deep dive into what, what makes the game so interesting, what makes it so iconic. Uh, and sometimes the author will kind of tell their story of their own experience with the game. I mean, games are so interactive that it really mm -hmm. makes sense to kind of include yourself because you're the only one who's done your playthrough or playthroughs and, and, uh, everybody plays every game a little different. Right. Yeah, that's the beauty of video games. Not only that every single person or every player has their own different experience, even their own different experience, like coming to grips or just playing the game or when they came in contact with it. You were talking about your story, how you and your sister got your NES. When I got my NES back in Christmas years ago, I got it as a mistake because my dad heard Nintendo. He didn't hear Super Nintendo. Oh. And I got an NES instead of a Super <laughs> Nintendo. He's like, I, I got a good deal on this. He yeah he did he got it for free from his sister so she wasn't using oh, it oh wow and ever since it, like even though it came from a bit of a mix up you know the, the memories came because of course we had Mario Duck Hunt Mario three it had a bunch of other games some LJN titles and that Christmas was I mean because at first I was I mean I've told the story a million times on the show so a long time listeners another ding on your counter but <laughs> it was a fantastic holiday because my sixty something year old grandfather was playing duck hunt and this is a That's guy who cool. if i were to tell him the concept of video and this is all and this is in montana of all places too so the second you say video game they would instantly think oh that's a waste of time but they were all having fun we were play, having turns playing ice hockey two of my cousins older cousins in their 40s or 50s were trying to were like doing rock paper scissors on who would play as the americans or who plays the canadians yeah i played a lot of original ice hockey on nes too oh God, I Mostly one with the so big much. guys, because being able to nudge people around the court, uh, the, the ice was was better than going fast. Yeah, I was my when I was playing the game like religiously as a kid, I would definitely have a mix of two, two medium guys and two big guys, because yeah. while those skinny guys were really quick, a feather could nudge can touch them yeah. and they would just go flying off the ice and you lose the puck. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Um, was, I Yeah, I love those moments in gaming where suddenly the the net widens and like a game isn't just an insidery thing that only some people do but suddenly everyone's doing it i think i mean mm -hmm. like the light gun is a good example of that i mean which is it's also funny to think like i was ready to point a gun and shoot it before i was ready to play mario <laughs> uh, but uh that's just a tangent. uh but like the the wii moment was really cool to watch too oh, because yeah. suddenly all the parents all the grandparents were getting in on games either again or maybe the, for the first time too um to, to, to play wii sports and that was a bit of a fad but it was cool and some people uh kind of stuck with it from there who who never would have gotten into it it was the Wii and the Nintendo DS that I remember a lot of people, at least a lot of people 
older like the the baby boomers the gen the gen xers were getting into gaming again it's because i mean i got a week for christmas that year in 2006 when it first came out and the game we played the most was Wii Sports that Christmas. While I tried to sneak away and play Twilight Princess, it's like, no, no, let's play Wii Sports. Let's like the whole family's here. We bought you extra controllers. Let's go. Do you know how yeah. hard your dad had to fight to get this <laughs> damn thing? Meanwhile, you're like, I really want to play that new Zelda. Though. I'm like, but but Zelda, though. Yeah. And but playing it. baseball, boxing and bowling, it was like that once again, an, yeah. another Nintendo Christmas where the entire family was having fun. My grandmother came to visit and she was playing. We were playing golf. It was great. Yeah, um, I was uh, reading a, a thing that, that made it into my first book that I wrote for the series. That um, was uh, a guy who runs a, a psychology of games website. I think his name is Jamie Madigan, but he was reporting on some some numbers that people found of like the video games that people are most nostalgic for are the ones where they look back and they were playing the game in the room, ouch, co-op or, or couch uh, uh, versus with other people. And like those are, you know, it's, it's just like those are the memories that stick. Um, oh yeah even more recently my fiance and i a few years ago when the game was released for the nintendo switch she and i co-opted cuphead oh great. only only very rarely were we playing by ourselves the only time that she beat a boss by herself was because was dr carl's robot and mm. she was mad it wasn't that oh i'm just gonna play before uh, i get home she was mad because she wanted to prove that I, she was able to beat it not only mm. did she beat it I was so proud of her when I came home and she, when she texted me and she's like, I beat him. I beat it. And That's then, so great. It, yeah, it was, it was an amazing thing because while we were playing Cuphead, I not, not to throw her any shade to her because she does like video games and she, re, she really enjoys playing video games with me. But a lot of times when we were fighting the bosses at Cuphead, she would die right before the boss would end and I would finish the fight and she would yeah. just be there cheering me on. So when I got the text message that she beat the super hard boss, Dr. Carl's robot, I could not tell you how that I was having a stupid smile on my face the rest of the day of work. Uh, and then when we finally beat the devil, we beat the devil together. So yeah. as you were saying, <laughs> uh, the strongest, the strongest memories are the ones you play co-op together. And when both of us finally beat the devil and cuphead, it was like this great rule. This not only this relief that it was done, but the fact that we did it and the fact that both of us did it. Yeah, I think I think that's like a really nice relationship moment. Or I mean, I mean both both defeating the devil together, which uh -huh. every couple should defeat the devil together. Oh point. yeah, definitely. And then also, you know, you're you're proud of her when she uh when she, when she has her her big moment, you know. Yeah. That speaks well. We only, uh Oh, sorry, go on. No, no, I was going to say the only thing that bummed me out was I wasn't there to see it in person. Oh, that's yeah. the only thing. No, totally. Uh, my girlfriend and I most recently played through Resident Evil 4 Remake together, nice. um, which, you know, would would hit, would be a very fun co-op if that existed. But we we're just passing the uh, controller back and forth chapter by chapter. And it, mm -hmm. it was it wound up being a really good way to, to break it up. And we had a lot of fun with our different play styles. Um, I <laughs> I got really obsessed with. Um, seeing how far I could get in the game using only like the knife and a pistol um, and the uh, what is it the, the 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 really weak gun. I, I I had this like pride of like if I can turn the controller over to her and she has all this ammo, like won't that be cool? <laughs> won't you be impressed <laughs> that I'm, I'm I'm handing her uh, uh, all these good weapons? You have like she's like here's an arsenal. You don't know I walked so you could run essentially. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, man, I need to get that remake. The 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 backlog it's awesome. nowadays. Oh uh, th- yeah, I hundred percent. I Resident Evil Four was one of those games. Like RE Four was the first Resident Evil game I ever played. It was the first Resident Evil game I ever beat. It was the first yeah. Resident Evil game I wanted to play because no shade to the original Resident Evil. I know there's fans out there. I know there are people who will die on the original tank controls. I hate tank controls. Yeah, I'm like it's no. really awkward. Yeah, and only second- more so now. <laughs> oh, I bet. Like the second they said, hey, Resident Evil 4, it's behind the shoulder. It's a little bit more action. I was like, finally. And that still scared the crap out of me. The second the regenerators showed up, I'm like, ugh. Yeah. And you know, that that one, while it's like a huge leap forward, uh, still, like I, I played a little of it right before we played the remake, and it still had some kind of weird control scheme stuff that they're just having to invent on the fly because like none of that was totally standardized yet so right uh and but they have really revamped all that stuff now and just made it very user-friendly um it's so fun and and they and they've really kept in like all the cheese which apparently was not there in the japanese version as much but they made the american like voice acting in the original so campy that like that's how we think of that game and so they're like well people want it to be cheesy so yeah uh you still have all, all the great uh, shopkeeper line readings and all that. Uh, what are you buying? Yeah. What you yeah. selling? It's like, got something for you, stranger. It just yeah. that whole, the, mer- the merchant Iconic. is just, yeah, 100%. Every time I see him, I see someone cosplaying him at a con, I always want to be like, hey, I'm buying something. It's like, just to hear them say, what are you buying? Just to do the, because normally you see a guy in a trench coat, you kind of want to run away. But because it's the merchant for Resident Evil, and the second he flips it open and you see all the stuff, it's like, okay, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, maybe he's a little creepy, but he just yeah. he loves his job. He does. Good for him. Uh, there's one time I accidentally shot him. I felt terrible. And, oh, doesn't he, like, go away? Yeah, then this is playing on the original, because I, I have the game for PS2. I don't have, mm-hmm. like I said, I don't have the remake just yet. But one day while I was playing the game, I accidentally pulled out a gun and I just accidentally, I don't know why, I just aimed it at him. I think I shot him in the shoulder and he just went, and he ran away. And I'm like, no, come back. Yeah, he's very, very valuable character. I'm just like, you I'm sitting there like trying to get to the next checkpoint scared. It's like, did I like kill him? Is he gone? Am I screwed? But oh, how yeah. funny would that be is if they, if the developers put it into the game codes, like, hey, if you kill the merchant, that's it. He's not I, showing up for the rest of the game. I believe that's how Dark Souls 2 works. It's like, oh. you know, you go to uh the uh, you know to, to to the hub area and it, there's there's characters that are very important and if you kill them I I think that's just on your save file now. Yeah. Yeah, I've played Dark Souls 3, Bloodborne, Elden Ring. I can't tell you how many times I meet NPCs I get a little scared to kill them. I'm like, yeah. or even just to, even just to fight him. It's like because one time I was playing Bloodborne and I accidentally shot this guy in the healing church, and he was like, "No, please!" I'm like, "Ah, yeah, no, I'm so sorry." <laughs> like, oh, I, I actually, it's a game is truly great when it makes you care about the NPCs. Yeah, it, sometimes it's caring, and some of it's like. I really might need you. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's like, like oh, this, it's like yeah, but also at the same time, it's like you might give me a really cool quest that gives me an item later down the line. I gotta, yeah. I gotta hold off. But anyways, going back to boss fight. So oh, sure. looking at looking at your uh, catalog of, <laughs> I know talking about Resident Evil Four and stuff. Like I said, tangents and rants are welcome on the show. 
But going back to the books, you have a wide range of um, of video games for books. Not just because when someone says video game books, I feel that the first thought they have is to retro books, as in like yeah. or to retro video games. Like the a copy I have or the two copies I own physically are Final Fantasy V and Mega Man Three classic retro titles totally but even going through the catalog you have games like animal crossing that um kelsey lewin wrote you have um skyrim you have shadow of the colossus which i mean arguably is technically retro because i assume it's about the ps2 game but still it got remade for ps4 so yeah it's, it's nice when they show up back in the conversation again like that oh yeah, it's like definitely. we, we I'm trying to think of the chronology but i i think that wasn't out yet when we were working on the book and so suddenly you just have these like kind of nice surprises where <laughs> like the game comes back into the conversation so when a game like that comes back into the conversation let's take the um shadow colossus book for example does the author can the does the author has the author like reached out back to you and be like hey um so the remake came out i played it can i like do, do little updates to my book or is it like set in stone it's mostly set in stone because okay it's really hard to do an, an update on a book um, mm -hmm. because like a lot of them are just paperbacks that are already out there in the world. Like right. let's say we did a huge printing and we're planning to sell it off over the course of years. Like maybe we could get in there and make some changes to the ebook or like make mm -hmm. some changes to a book that like comes out eventually. But mostly we like to say whenever uh it came out like that's the moment in time that it exists. And like, yes, okay. there will always be new news about Shadow of the Colossus or, or you know, uh, anytime like there's a remake or something. But like to be constantly updating would be kind of like chasing this thing that never ends. Right. Right. So, um, but I do love the idea of these authors returning to the games and like mm -hmm. finding new things to talk about. Some of them have gone and written essays since then. Actually, Nick, uh, who wrote the Shadow of the Colossus book, he went on to write all the text for this beautiful uh, art book um, slash uh, text book uh, on The Last Guardian when that came out. Mm -hmm. So he kind of kept it in in the family. <laughs> he just like nice. went on to the next game and and, and wrote about that. Okay. I, I do 100% agree with you because obviously when a book is printed, you can't, it's not like certain video games or DVD or not even DVDs really, but you can't just go do a system update and then it's like, hey, here's a new bit. You have to do a whole new printing, which I understand costs money. But totally. also, but even thinking back on that, um, even though like when the book came out, the remake had to come out, it would still bring people to Shadow of the Colossus or even to your book because it's like, hey, I played this game on the PS4. That's when I first played it. I finally was able to play Shadow Colossus on the PlayStation 4. Oh, cool. And then I would, and then when I would, next time I, and then it's like, okay, so this is the original PS2 version, but then it's, I would see it's a cool way to compare and contrast. Obviously, the PS2 version is the original. That's how the game came up. The newer version is just uh, maybe a few streamlined controls that looked prettier. That's basically it. But the core of the game is still there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. And, and the, yeah, there's always going to be interest in where a thing came from, even if mm -hmm. the way people play it now is uh, is pretty different. Uh, like one of our uh, recent books um, is uh, the Parappa the Rapper book by Mike Schollers, and he gets into the trouble with playing that game at all now because when you played mm -hmm. it at first, it was on a wired controller on PS1, and right. then like several things have it. They have kept the game alive technically. 
but it's so much harder to play because of lag. And some of that mm -hmm. lag is from the, the ROM that they uh, wound up using. They, they basically like did a, it's that thing where you just do a upgrade in the resolution of a ROM without really changing anything else. But what, for whatever reason, s some lag was added to that. And then just the fact of uh, wireless controllers being the norm, uh, that added some lag on too. So what was once like a pretty precise game that you could get good at, now mm -hmm. it's just like an, an unfair game that yeah. is actually training you not to be on the beat because it doesn't <laughs> know when to yeah, beat it. Yeah, because even, even though with Bluetooth technology and wireless controllers, the input lag... Because I will agree, as much as I love, I, I won't lie, wireless controllers are a godsend. Oh, as much awesome. as yeah. as much as I miss the day of like, you know, making sure your controller is close enough to your you're far enough away from your TV so you're not like right up in there, but but still close enough that the cord won't like say if a parent walks by or your dog or cat walks through, they won't unplug your controller. I um, do agree that with games like where you have to have those like absolute extreme precise twitch like pixel perfect jumps there yeah. is a tiny little bit of input lag from the controller to the console even yeah. though it's like but luckily like, yeah. most of us are not speed runners so we don't have to do these like pixel perfect jumps or you know or most games don't even require the precision of that original perhaps the rapper and i think that's a good thing you know they just work in more wiggle room because they know mm -hmm. like you're going to be playing on all these different devices with like mm -hmm. things are going to hit in a, in a range of possibilities. So, yeah, I mean, I saw Parappa the Rapper available on the PlayStation store. Cause I, I do have a PS plus um, subscription. Oh, nice. I, my friends on the show call me or my friends on my other podcast, they call me nostalgia's bitch for a reason. So <laughs> I love all the old school retro games and I see Parappa the Rapper on there. And of course, all these memories come flooding back. Like the one where the onion guy kick punch, it's all in the mind. Oh yeah. That lives in my brain rent free, but well, I haven't turned it on because of yeah. that. It, like you said, that input lag. It's yeah, like, is this what a bummer. Be as good? Yeah, because I don't want this game to be ruined for me. I know. Yeah, but th that's one that we do get into because I mean that was already out, and so mm -hmm. you know Mike takes full advantage to yeah. do, do a chapter about it and <laughs> get into the why. Uh, but it, it, that's. Um, I mean, I but I imagine if people were to uh, own a version of the game previously, they could probably find a, a, a ROM and a wired controller that could play it uh, mm -hmm. on a PC or just get an, an old PS1. Yeah, or or I mean PS3. Well, there is an input lag for PS3, but still, it's probably not as atrocious as it is on gotcha. the PS5. Yeah, I mean, at least hopefully, because thankfully all PS3s are backward compatible with the PS1, not PS2, but... Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, that's that was one of the weird things that PlayStation did. It's like because I have a PS3 Slim back there, and it still plays. And you pop in a PS1 disc, and it was like, oh yeah, I can play this just fine. No worries, no no harm, no foul. Yeah, I got you. But it is yeah. fun to have access to uh, some of those old games um, through through the subscription service. Um, oh yeah, it, it like takes me on some weird roads. Like I, I wound up playing like 20 minutes of Intelligent Intelligent Cube. I think it's it's like an obscure PS1 game that is offered uh, as as part of the service. Hey, so minus, yeah. I mean, I played about twenty minutes of Wild Arms just because yeah. I heard that was a really good RPG, and I oh, I, was I loved playing. Wild Arms back in the day. I'm not gonna lie, I was like, hey, this is actually is kind of fun, but it's three o'clock in the morning. I should go to bed. Yeah, no, I feel you. Well, that's one of those that's one of the games that like benefits from 
it's mostly a 2D game. And so yeah. it's sort of continuing the legacy of mm-hmm. that like late 16-bit generation of games. Um, and that it gets 3D when you like go into battles and stuff. But yeah. Uh, that that was that was such a beautiful era for uh RPGs and it, it and and for, for games in general. And then once things went 3D, there's that few years there where yeah. everybody was starting to just kind of have to go back to square one and, and figure it all yeah. out again. I mean, I won't lie. I remember back in the day where I was playing on a Sega Dreamcast or even a sports game on the PS1, and I would see the models of the of the football players, and I, my brother and I would be like, it looks so real. Yes. And then you look back nowadays, it's like, what? What, yeah. was, I, what was I on? Well, one, th- one thing that I love about right now in gaming is that the realism fetish days uh, that were going pretty hard until maybe about a decade ago, like uh-huh. those have subsided as we've kind of gotten to the level where, okay, like things can look pretty realistic. I mean, there's always further they can go, of course, but like they've gotten pretty realistic. And so now we can look toward more interesting things than just trying to approximate reality and mm-hmm. look at style and like try to make something interesting or, or beautiful or you know like really uh settle on a, a look for a particular game I mean, you're seeing so much more like stylized uh, yeah aesthetics that then you used to in the days where it was just like look how real it is like yeah. there's gleam on the football helmet <laughs> I mean, the realism is pretty cool but i will not lie i would take the stylized fantastical stuff over like the real like like to, like we're recording this on a sunday if i want to watch like gleam off a football helmet i would go on turn on the raiders game right now or i would watch some sort of football whatever but when i pop in a game such as let's use final fantasy 15 as an example well yes the character models yeah they do look like real humans but then you have like these fantastical monsters. You have yeah. these, the gorgeous background of the of the world they inhabit with the these crazy rock structures. You have all these amazing looking mountains and these beings and equipment that is yes, it's fantastical, but it looks so gorgeous. Yeah, and it's like even though yes, I mean yeah, because it, it kind of blends reality with fantasy. Whereas like this could be real, and in this universe, it technically is. But it looks so pretty, and yeah. I love that. Yeah, you love to see that synthesis of mm-hmm. anything can can look as good as you want it to, and style. Yeah, I mean, if Final, if Final Fantasy has one thing going for it, it's definitely style. Mm. One thing uh, we always like to talk about is, is like the uproar um when um legends of Zelda wind waker came out uh mm-hmm. which was that was firmly in the realism era and so the fact oh, yeah. that uh nintendo would uh w- would do this incredible disservice to fans by creating a stylized cartoon looking game instead of the most realistic link that it was currently possible on that generation hardware it was it it just can't be overstated like how much people pitched a fit over that uh, over yeah. pretty cool game. And then, you know, and and then uh, that kind of led to Twilight Princess, you know, <laughs> they'll kind of be like, okay, well, here's, here's what we think you want, which uh, also is, uh, is, is pretty cool. But, but like, you know, I, and now the, the biggest Zelda games of all time are, are, are the last two. And those, 
it's not quite as cartoony as Wind Waker, but it's got that cell shading look it again. Does. And we're like happy to uh, make everything uh, look beautiful, um, even if it's not the most realistic. Right. I feel with, especially with Wind Waker, I love how you brought up Wind Waker because even though on my, I love Zelda, I've fallen hardcore in love with Zelda games, but I fell in love with Zelda very late. Twilight Princess was the first one I ever played all the way through. Oh, cool. And then, of course, Tears of the Kingdom or Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom. I finally played Ocarina and Majora's Mask thanks to the 3DS remakes. And, nice. and Link Between Worlds is my favorite Zelda game of all time. I absolutely adore that game. Oh, but I, I really got to play that one. Oh, it's fantastic. It is truly, it, it's up there. It is truly a fantastic Zelda game. That's and I awesome. need to play through Link to the Past because I know that's the spiritual successor to Link to the Past. But yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to love it. You, you already I, kind of know the map, right? Exactly. Yeah. But going on to like Wind Waker, because I do remember when that game came out, a lot of my friends who did have GameCubes at the time, they hated it. They were like, oh, this game sucks. Fast forward 20, my heart, fast forward uh, like 15, 20 some odd years later, and they're talking and they're praising Wind Waker. They're like, hey, Nintendo, bring Wind Waker back on the Switch. I mean, yes, we know Wind Waker and Twilight Princess got HD remakes for the, for the Wii U, but they didn't sell because it was the Wii U. Put it on the Switch. It will sell gangbusters. And I kind of champion that because I want to play Wind Waker on the Wii, on the, excuse me, on the Switch. I know. Yeah, it's it, it makes so much sense for them to do that. I think the one thing they shot themselves on the foot with is, is that second screen. So... Mm-hmm they have to go back and make every, every Wii U game has to be, you know, finding a way to like, take, take the second screen of, of Wii U and then put yeah. it into a single switch screen, which like you lose nothing, but I'm sure it takes them time and effort. No, I mean, um, I won't lie playing Ocarina of Time on my 3DS and having the iron boots set to the touch screen button instead of having to constantly, cause I would hear um, our, uh, the, I would watch videos from the water temple on the original Ocarina on the N64 where you have to pause, equip the iron boots, do the thing, unequip the, you know, it's a constant state back and forth. Where's the 3ds. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah. a simple button. That push. is nice. Oh yeah. Quality of life improvements. Totally. But, and, and I really wish that there was a way for people to easily play the the 3DS versions um, yeah. that, that you played of both Ocarina mm-hmm. and Majora um, uh, on the Switch, and surely they'll one day. <laughs> yeah, one do, day do that. I mean, upgrade. But. They're able to if Capcom can put the Mega Man ZX games, which were three, or which were two or two DS, which were DS games on the Switch. I'm pretty sure Nintendo could find a way to put a second screen on there somehow. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, so. As I said earlier, for boss fight books, there is a wide range of stuff from retro to modern. Um, do you have like a personal cap? As in, this is the era we stop at for now, and then it mm. moves, or is it, or is it completely open? It's like all eras of video gaming are 100% open season. If you have a game you want to write about it, it doesn't matter if it's brand spanking new or old as dirt. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, it's way closer to open season. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one caveat is I, I kind of want the story of that game, or at least like the first incarnation of that game to be more or less finished. Like I'd rather it be through its sales cycle. And mm-hmm. if there's DLC, I'd like for the DLC to have come out and, you know, like we want to be able to tell the story of something that happened instead of like the news story of a thing that is currently happening. Cause that's, what's so cool about a book is you can, it gives you a chance to look back. And so 
that's that's kind of my my one thing is is you know it, it, try to give it a year or so <laughs> or, or at okay. least like to the point that you feel like you can tell a coherent story that has an end point um mm-hmm. even though as we said before it's it's always continuing there's always more yeah and now now this isn't a slight because um i have final fantasy 5 right here and it's about mm-hmm. say it's just under about under 200 pages yeah give or take is there a page limit because i can only imagine with some authors i i mean unfortunately i haven't seen the entire library of boss fight books but is there what's like the high is there like a max page count for your authors or is it once again just like hey just give us what you can if we need to whittle it down we could whittle it down a little bit or what's what yeah, is the process well, on how big these books can get sure yeah we shoot for short books because i like that and i think that's cool is to to um see how concise we can get it without sacrificing quality and I, you know and i just like short books myself and and, and the fact that it's about just one video game and not some usually not some huge history it kind of feels like that's a natural thing to shoot for it's like about Mm -hmm. a 200 page book feels nice so i the biggest we've gone is 256 um and the the longest well i guess i guess you'd say the longest book is the uh hardcover edition of uh, goldeneye 007 because that has uh, an extra chapter in it and it also has um a bunch of pictures um Mm -hmm. Which uh, which was really cool. So it, that that's been a nice experience. That came out uh, just the beginning of this year, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, we it it has to take the right project, but I'd love to do that more because that is a way to kind of like build out a bigger book. And especially if you can find some visual element to it, we've been really careful about that historically because we don't want to get sued and we don't want to take right. things that aren't ours, right? Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, mostly that means you don't usually include screenshots. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's a case for it. I mean, um, you know, there's fair use laws in place for a reason where if you are, uh, criticizing, analyzing something, you know, you can show it, but it's, um, you know, it can, it can be a little dicey. So when we do have images, it's usually something like behind the scenes images, or like if, you know, in that case, like the developers were giving us all these cool pictures from like, they were, uh, like original drawings of the characters or like handwritten notes about like levels that they want to do and like handwritten maps. So I love that stuff, but that only even becomes possible when, people want to collaborate with you on it or, or right. share it with the world, which luckily those, uh, those guys on the rare team did. They were, they're really cool and, and, and generous with their time. I mean, the fact that you have, cause I saw the book that I saw the golden eye book on the website when, uh, when my editor at old school game or my publisher at old school gamer magazine, when he essentially pitched the, he's like, Hey, give me some, give me an idea. Cause we want to do a, a piece on this book. And I just jumped on the chance. That's <laughs> I'm awesome. Like, I, I was the second I saw that I was like I know those guys, I know about those guys I'll do it yeah like I was re- I was ready to fight for that for that for that <laughs> assignment to be perfectly honest oh, that's and awesome. I'm like I'm now I'm scrolling through and I saw Golden Knight and Golden Knight is one of those games that I have played a little bit as a kid mm. I know most of it through osmosis I have even yeah. seen the bloody movie and to be perfectly Got honest you. I think mean, my favorite it's the best Brosnan I. My personal favorite is Tomorrow Never Dies, the one he did right? after. And yes, I, yeah. and that's mostly because of nostalgia. Because no, totally. weird story, as a kid, I 
we had a family friend who was stationed out in Singapore. He was an NCIS agent and he was working in Singapore. And we flew out to go to Singapore, Malaysia, and Thailand. And wow. while we were in Thailand, we went to James Bond Island where they filmed the Golden Gun and they also did a little bit of Tomorrow Never Dies. So on the oh, bus cool. ride, so on the bus ride over there, I was introduced to James Bond because they played The Man with the Golden Gun and Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> my two favorite Bond films. It's amazing, like that the hype that you can get from seeing like where they shot something or like where you know where the thing gets made yeah. <laughs> i was thinking of like when i was in college going to um the uh the guinness brewery and and then for like a year or two after that guinness was my favorite beer right <laughs> it's just i just got fully indoctrinated bought a bunch of merch on my way out um but yeah i i uh it's um I, I I might have lost the thread a little bit here, but yeah, but but oh, Goldeneye, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah Goldeneye. like that's so so that's like uh, that was was a great uh, example of one where it just came together and we were able to include a bunch of pictures, a bunch of um, and and there was so much story to tell that it was like well, it's hard to start cutting without losing things that we really like. So mm -hmm. um, that was that was kind of why we went in and, and did a deluxe version of the book that was already one of our longest books. Mm -hmm. But and yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but GoldenEye is, as of right now, the only deluxe version you guys offer, correct? Yes, this is our okay. first uh, hardcover. Wow, the GoldenEye, that's actually, it's golden. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fitting that GoldenEye gets the first uh, hardcover from Boss Fight, because even looking back on the very first book, which I don't know why my brain is blanking on what the first book you guys put out was, but everything mm, thus Earthbound. far has, all, uh, Earthbound, thank you, is all been paperbacks so the fact that yep. now goldeneye and the fact that the rare team was really chill to work with you guys sounds like it was a match made in heaven yeah absolutely and, also, and, and elise is such a great writer too she had already done a book for us on super mario 3 and so the fact that she wanted to come back and tell that whole story was really awesome i swear my reading backlog is just as bad as my video game backlog because no, there I are so because nowadays like when you sent me an email with some question with the questions i sent you before and earlier you talked about how there wasn't a, a general space for video game books. And this was back in 2012, 2013. And you're 100% correct. When you said 2013, I got an instant flashback to when I was in school. I was in uh, Cal State Northridge and I yeah. had a, uh, a group project, which essentially was the uh, short history of video games. And when I Googled video game history, nothing came up. Mm, yeah. It was it was like one of the most shocking things to me. It's like we're in the era of the PlayStation three and the PS four. How is there no, how are there like no scholarly bits or things I can take for video game history? So I really had to scrape or not scrape the bottom of the barrel, but I really had to look and find and piece, try to piece together stuff and, and go to Wikipedia constantly to just to see what years these consoles came out to make a decent PowerPoint presentation. And I'm just sitting there going, how come there's nothing like this? And now, thankfully, there I go to Barnes and Noble. There's a gaming section they have. There's a bunch of books out. You guys are are doing this, and totally. now, yeah, now it's like hallelujah. This is people can read about the fairy games because I can just only assume that when someone says, "Hey, I wrote a book about Goldeneye," so many Goldeneye fans will be like, "There's a what now?" Yeah. And I, we found with that one too, like, I mean, I truly didn't know going into it, like, you know, we're, we're doing this deluxe version. Uh, it's going to cost twice as much, um, as, as the, uh, paperback version. And like, 
will people want that? And what we found is like, no, they want it more than they want yeah. the paperback. They actually want like a beautiful object and that, you know, that like has those pictures in it too. So that was like a cool lesson for us. I mean, it's, you know, like we focus so much on the content and trying to get the books to be really good. And, you know, mm -hmm. but also there's that collector aspect and there's like people, if it's something they really love, they probably aren't going to bat an eye on like buying a nice book of it. Um, yeah, and, and still, and, and, and 30 is, uh, <laughs> like low compared to like some of those like video game art object, uh, books that you, um, mm -hmm. that you see that, that are kind of like, like textbook size as well. Yeah. I mean, don't get wrong. The bigger, the thicker I see a book, the more I go, yes, because you know, stuff, but at the same, yeah. but at the same, like even I have like a few collector's editions of, um, uh, like when Nintendo, when they put out the NES and SNES classics, they released the books with that like kind of like companion pieces and they had special editions that were hardcover. Oh, cool. They um they looked like the game cartridges and of course I bought them cuz it's like this looks so rad but even the content inside was just so cool. That's really cool. Yeah. It I I think though that like yeah that that 2013 thing that you are you are talking about it it seems to just take people some time when there's a new thing. Like yeah. for like the literature to catch up i mean because mm -hmm. like for one thing books are a slow medium but also like it seems to take a while for it to even occur to people for they're like oh we should get into the history of this thing <laughs> you know and so yeah. and, and i think like it, part of it is a respect thing and like mm -hmm. a kind of disparity between like you know like academic publishers and like what they do and like what what they think is like worthy of yeah you know, serious inquiry. So it just like, it, yeah, it, it takes time. And um, so I do feel lucky that like, that was when I had that idea, because if we were trying to start this now, I mean, it, it, we could still make some really cool books, but we'd be entering a more crowded market. There's, there's mm -hmm. other people uh, doing cool books about video games too. And I think that's really nice because as you say, like it's creating a shelf that did not exist before mm -hmm. and bookstores that, would not have known where to put us <laughs> now now there's like some <laughs> other books to put yeah. us besides and that honestly like comfort them into purchasing because mm -hmm. they're like oh well we know that this is a thing <laughs> yeah. like at least now people are like oh yeah video games instead of like huh video games which it yeah. still was kind of like that back then mm -hmm. it's it when you say that especially when you bring the whole academic process into it it's the I feel like it's also dipping into the pool of are video games art or not. You know, that classic mm -hmm. debate that we've been hearing ever since the the dawn of video games. Are video games, because I would assume that both you and I agree that video games are art. They are a great way of telling a story. It's a different yeah. way of telling a story than films or, or classic literature is. But yeah, these should be studied. They should be learned about. But then you have not to you have the people at harvard yale or whatever you know the snooty guys <laughs> yeah. they raise their noses like that's not academics that's not literature totally. and then and then you look at stuff it's like yeah but there are great themes in these games there are great stories in these games and also the way that the gameplay can tell a story yes and i think that last one is like that's often what i get the most excited about is like Yes, there are some really impressive stories in some games, 
And some games, it's like mostly the gameplay and like yeah. the, the, the story of you getting good at the game and then mm-hmm. like achieving and figuring things out. And, you know, whether that's like solving puzzles or, you know, learning uh, how to kill a challenging boss, it's like that is the story. And so like that's yeah. And like and, and that is so different than what the other art forms can do. Um, so I love the topics that are like unique to games at the same time i really like to bring in the other arts because another thing that we're seeing like kind of the opposite of what you and i were saying is like there are there there were like snooty people that are like games are not art but there were also snooty gamers who are like games are the only art and so yeah you would read all these things that like if they were talking about a game in relation to anything it was just other games but like the arts are this exciting big tent where you can talk about all kind of things. And the best mm-hmm. games are from people who are paying attention to the world and who yeah. are like they're artists and they are paying attention to other artists and not just not just video games. And so like that, I think, is a really exciting part of what we do, too, is like that interplay between games in the world, games and other arts and just like trying to work our way toward that big tent aesthetic where we're not trying to make gamers feel uh we're not trying to like pander to gamers and make them feel so cool we're not trying to pander to like those academics and be like no Mm -hmm. games are games are good like look this is this is our (laughs) but rather like we want to assume like just as a starting point yeah games are really interesting Uh, yeah and and some games are really impressive <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. not all of them but like a lot of them are, are doing something really cool and 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 then to go from there uh instead of like trying to really like convince people of something like making that really like evangelical uh approach of like games are you know you know what i mean because you can kind of see that in in some games media of like games are capital i important and obviously i agree but when you get that way about it, I think you're sort of get, doing games a disservice because you're sort of treating them with kid gloves. And like, right. what we want to do is like really look at what games are up to. Mm-hmm. And if something's not working, we want to talk about that too. So, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, you that was eloquently put. I was like, no, like, damn, that was that's that's a fantastic <laughs> right. way to put it. Because uh, I mean, when I went to school, I, w- I went I went to film school first, and by film school, I was in the film department at Cal State Northridge, trying to get. It was a prerequisite for my radio degree, and there were times I was I remember going, getting into an argument with this one guy who was very much as I would say a film snob. He was very critical of every single film, every like if it wasn't Citizen Kane, it wasn't worth watching almost. Yeah, and yet I'm talking about how I was excited to see the new Transformers film, and he was like, "Oh, that is just so that is like." trite trash that is you know he's saying all these negative things about it and i'm just looking i was like dude i go to see the movie to see giant robots turn into trucks and blow stuff up yeah let me have my fun yeah absolutely and i i think there's like that with video games because with video games there are like let's take a you know grand theft auto 5 just pluck that right out of the thing you can do so many batshit crazy things in gta 5 and totally. however you want, like if people, you can put in cheat codes. Like when my brother was playing Vice City and um, San Andreas, he was playing in cheat codes, trying to get his one. He was just going on absolute rampages, just having a great old time. But then when you start playing the missions and the story, you find out there's 
a lot of great character development here. Like I mm-hmm. actually feel for Franklin. I feel for um Trevor, not Trevor, the other Michael. I I'm scared to death of Trevor, but at the same time, I want them to succeed. Yeah. And there's, it's just like, yes, Grand Theft Auto is the uh, type of game that has that stigma attached to it because, you know, it's a game where you can commit all these crimes in video games and, and essentially just get a slap on the wrist or get patched up and you're out of the hospital. You might just lose X amount of dollars of in-game currency. But yeah. then when you look at what the writers actually do with the game and with the characters, like, no, these it's both. It's like, yes, it's totally. fun. Arc- it's arcade fun. And it's telling a really decent story that I want to see to the end. Well, those, yeah, I mean, the people at uh, Rockstar are clearly up to something. They have a lot of yeah. ideas, and they all—I mean, and look like they also have a, a ton of different writers on every game, and not everybody nails it. Not every mission has a, has a great story. You know, like you can really like look at different parts and be like, okay, that I really liked, that not so strong, but like they have a lot of ideas about America and violence mm-hmm. and. You know, it's um, w- one book of ours that really addresses that is uh, Matt Martincini's book on the the first Red Dead Redemption game. Mm. And he does this great job of like placing the game in a context of the Western genre. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but like when I was growing up, the Western was kind of out. And so mm-hmm. I didn't oh, yeah. pay attention to it. Um, I did. It just seemed like uh, like granddad stuff. <laughs> and so like. But what I kind of learned by reading that book several times and and working on it some with the author was like, uh, it, it just from the book itself is like that is one of the genres about America and the story mm-hmm. that America tells itself about itself, and it's like a way of presenting values. And so, like the the uh, uh, rock star people uh, who some of whom were also GTA five people like they're really interested in that. And, you know, you mm-hmm. get into like the, the characters and the scenes in that game. You like, you see that thing all the time. And sometimes they're kind of leaning into the tropes, but you often they're also kind of questioning them and right. um, questioning modernity and progress and what happens when the railroad comes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's just uh, a long way of, <laughs> of agreeing with you and saying like, there's, there's a lot going on there and you could miss it because you're just watching like a guy pull a lady out of a car and, and drive off. But yeah, you know, there's, <laughs> it's yeah, there, there if you want it. Oh no, there's a, like, I, I don't want to get this. This is not a political show. And also I don't want to talk about politics because I have personally, I absolutely hate talking about that, especially sure. when I'm talking to uh bad video games, but there are themes of like, you know, of how our current economic structure is bad of like how if it goes unchecked it can bring it down dystopia you know like games like bioshock um you have other games like fallout the fallout series where it's like if unchecked power can goes goes too far or corporations go too far and then you get people on the complete other side who don't see any of that and they say here's some games about the sun of one side of the political spectrum and every other gamer who's you know played the games goes uh that's not did you Mm. play these games Ocar- yeah occurring of time really hmm yeah that's interesting yeah, yeah I, that's I, it's uh, yeah and and there is a whole strain of writing about games where <laughs> like especially in some mainstream publications although i think this is getting better is like mm-hmm. oh they they hired uh someone who doesn't know anything about this to try to do the best they can real quick and that's okay but mm-hmm. like <laughs> there's a lot of people who 
who really have spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff. Yeah, definitely. But then when it all comes down to it, because I remember the game I'm playing right now, the game that has definitely made me some feelings is uh, Breath of or not Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, I have been playing that game ever since I got it in March, and I'm like 200 plus hours into it, and I want to beat it because, you know, Final Fantasy 16, Sea of Stars, I really want to play Sea of Stars. And Mm. all these other great games are coming out. But so many times have I been playing this game, I've been feeling the story, like the connection of the characters. And not to get too spoiled, I know a lot of people have beaten the game already, but there's like some scenes in this game that just ache my heart and I just want to go to the final boss and just beat the crap out of him because mm. I'm so mad of what happened to a character. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah, I, I also played a lot of that game and and did beat it, but probably also didn't do as much of it <laughs> as you have. But there's, yeah, there is some some really uh, exciting stuff in there. And, and uh, the... Uh, without getting spoily, the end of the getting the master sword uh part uh stands out to me as very yeah. <laughs> impressively put together but i will say like uh, in that game a lot of my favorite stuff is not main quest stuff it's actually mm-hmm. just weird like humorous like mm-hmm. tangential side quest you're know, going about oh, yeah. being a reporter i love a those Kuko, at, at who who is promises to read my fortune and then uh uh oh he's a member of the Yiga clan and like that to me is so goofy and so like light on its feet in the way that like sometimes Zelda has trouble not just like following following right into the chasm of uh fantasy tropes but it's like when they're having fun and when they're you know like uh really s- stretching themselves uh yeah. it's pretty cool like the, I, every time I see just mighty bananas in an area that's not in Faron or over <laughs> by a Laurelin village, <laughs> I always like, hmm. I always poke it, and then you know the Yiga clan, the Yiga uh-huh. member just pops out of nowhere, and I'm like, all right, cool. Or when I finally did get the Yiga costume, I snuck into the Yiga base, I stole all their stuff, yeah. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna see what happens. Save, take off my thing. Intruder alert! Yes. Like, all right, cool. Let's dance. I loved all the expanded Yiga content. <laughs> I the Yiga clan was one of those characters or those things in Breath of the Wild that I was I wasn't annoyed by, but mm. I was also very like I it's a little are, one note a lot yeah. of the time. And then here in Tears of the Kingdom, it's like they essentially they're trying to turn the depths into like their big expanses. Like this is actually kind of dangerous. Yeah. And see now how they expanded underneath Hyrule. They literally became Hyrule's underworld. I'm like, yeah. oh. Okay, so I really should stop Koga now. All right, and uh, Koga's still as silly as ever. I I, I have a bit of a love hate relationship with Koga, <laughs> but going back to the books, um, can you walk me through the process that an author has to go through from pitching, writing, all if like a, essentially like a TLDR yeah. of the process of a author um, pitching their book to you guys, and all the way to getting the book published. Sure. Okay. And please yeah, we'll, don't mind me because I will we'll be see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how TLDR can be about yeah. it. But it's um. So usually uh, somebody comes to us with an idea uh, for a game, and and real quick, what I what I like about that is you know I don't want the entirety of the series to just be based on like my own taste and which games I think are cool. I I love mm-hmm. when people like come to me with their ideas and like it also, I think it creates better books when you have passionate curious people writing them and usually 
you know, um, there's, it's not just like somebody wants to write a book about a, a video game. They have like a video game in mind, or maybe there's mm -hmm. like three that they could write about a, a good book about, you know, uh, but that that's different for every person. So we encourage people to, to throw ideas at us and we, um, hold an open reading period. And so during that time, like what we're looking for is pitches that, um, give, uh, us a chance to look at uh, a game or series that we've never done before. Um, mm -hmm. that, um, where the author is like really inciting our own curiosity about like, oh, this will, this will give me a chance to, you know, revisit this game, uh, often a game that, that the author loves, um, and a chance to like, look at what makes it so interesting, what, what makes it so iconic. And then to take a look at like the history of how it was made, how, why it impacted culture so much, how it was influential. Um, and, and so like the, the best ones, the best pitches kind of get me excited about it because they're just sort of like showing me the potential of the book and also, or, and also showing me like the potential of all the questions that they want to answer. Like, here's all the things that I'm so curious about and I have to write mm -hmm. this book to learn them. And so mm -hmm. that kind of, uh, winds up. And, and sometimes people will also like write us a little like teaser, like part of a chapter so we can get a, a little more sense of like their personal writing style and that kind of thing. And so we will, uh, and, and I'll, I also, uh, put together a, a little crew and it's different people every time, but, um, we will read all the pitches and then get a chance to uh, talk about them. So we'll just like, you know, e each of us go through and, and make our own notes. And then kind of uh, once we're having the conversation, then we're each kind of jockeying for some of our favorites and, and making our cases and, and all that mm -hmm. good stuff. And then, so, and, and then we um, pick the ones we pick and we, we talk to the authors and just make sure that they're, um, vision is uh, aligned with ours and, you know, to talk to them about, the press and and how we do things and make sure that that all, all all sounds good and and so we sign contracts with them and then from there it kind of works differently with every author in terms of like while they're creating the first draft sometimes we help out some with like uh putting some uh of the research together um mm -hmm. mike williams our other editor uh, he's really good at doing that and so we'll kind of uh help people find especially things that like aren't on the regular web um right that are on like a old newspapers like newspapers.com account or like going if if somebody's looking for like old academic papers about video games or that that kind of thing so um but a lot of the time you know people will just kind of work on their book for a while and um mm -hmm. when things really get going is when uh they get us a first draft and then uh one of us will read it and give them notes and we'll kind of have that back and editorial back and forth with the author um you know really as many times as it takes but usually what we're doing is you know kind of starting with the big picture and kind of looking at um the what what all the chapters are doing and and um the goals of the book and and then as it goes through we just get smaller and smaller into like paragraph level sentence level stuff and then just like word choices and looking for errors and and you know and and mm -hmm. so by the end if, if we're getting really nitpicky that's when we know uh it's ready <laughs> you know and it's like okay. time to move on to <laughs> to copy editing and all that so then at mm -hmm. that point we're starting to put like a cover together and we're um 
you know, getting ready to like announce the the books and a new Kickstarter and that kind of thing. And that's always a really fun time because we usually kind of keep a lid on it until we have something to show people. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that is just because I want to be sure that if we are coming to people and saying, hey, would you please pre-order these books? Like we can really deliver and we know that it's, it's right. going to be good and that it, this is a, a book that's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. so that's good. So, the, uh, and, and then, you know, after it's funded, then we're, um, then we're printing the book and, and putting it out and, and all that good stuff. So that's, what was that? Was that short ish? That was short ish. No, that was right. pretty, yeah. that was actually pretty good. Okay. Um, that pretty good. That was very good. Uh, <laughs> so you said it. So for the writer, is there like a time limit for when a writer, like, so say a writer gets their pitch accepted is there like a, hey, do you mind having like X, Y, and Z done around this time? Or is it all completely up to the writers? Like whenever they get it done, they get it done. Or is well, or is there a deadline? We do like, we do kind of create deadlines, but they're usually mm-hmm. around what the writer thinks they can accomplish because people okay. work at diff- really different speeds. Right. And everybody has their day jobs, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> like, I know that for a fact. <laughs> like we're all, we're all doing the best we can. We're all like, you know, uh, I mean, for me, the day job is, is running the press, but yeah, for all of our authors, you know, they, they've got uh, entire lives. And so we do want to accommodate busy people. And, and so where that has taken us is to this point where we, you know, we talk to people about the time frame uh, when we first start working with them. And then that kind of gives us a sense of at least, you know, what we're shooting for. And then we kind of Keep checking in from there but it's usually or really it's never a kind of thing where like it's taking a long time so we don't want the book anymore because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know i mean these are there's not really like a time frame where right. suddenly we don't want to read a book about x video game so mm-hmm. um that's that's kind of how it works and we really don't start sequencing the books in terms of like, this will go then, and this will go then until the books are like getting close to finish. Um, Kind of for the same reasons that I was talking about earlier is because Mm -hmm. it's always such a journey. You really don't know how long it's going to take. And I've learned it's kind of better not to try to guess too much because Mm -hmm. then you might be locking yourself into a timeline that isn't actually what happens. And even right, then yeah. there's delays, you know, there's like printer yeah. delays. There's, there's like all these, uh, acts of God kind of yeah. that can happen. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I have been given an assignment or I give myself assignments for the magazines I write for. And I say, I'm going to get this thing done at this time. Then something, you know, cause like you said, life happens, jobs happen and it just rears its ugly head. And it's like, Oh, I didn't get the thing I done. Then I, you know, spiral into depression. And I'm all sad again because yeah. Because, like you said, stuff happens. So even though I do that, I do podcasting, I do writing on the side. I have a nine to five job that, unfortunately, doesn't let me get off of work until twelve thirty in the morning, and I don't get home until around one a.m. Wow. So already, I am exhausted. And the days where I'm able to get articles or or even just um, a podcasting projects done is a bloody miracle in some way, in some way, shape. So I completely understand that. Totally. And And that's kind of my approach to my writing too, to be honest with you Mm -hmm. is like, you know, I got this job that I I do and then I've always got my work, but it's like, I, you know, yeah, it it sounds like you're like this too, but it's always that tension of how do I get all the things done, keep all the balls in the air? How do I try to 
not let anybody down. And, and then also how do I pursue the, the stuff that makes me happy and keeps mm-hmm. it, uh, makes it worth doing. Exactly. It's, it's a struggle, but you know what? Doing stuff like this, like the show, writing for the magazines, it's stuff I love doing. It's stuff I have fun with. Now, if this was my full-time job, I would absolutely be 100% okay with that. But at the same time, it's still something I love doing, and and I'm just thankful to have time to do it. So... I we I love it how we're just constantly we're talking about one thing we dovetail to something else and then I'm trying to come back to the well we're yeah this this is how it has to go we're talking about <laughs> life man Hell yeah I mean but but I I agree and, and and you know when I think about like some of the the most fun I've had like with the press like writing those two books that I wrote for a boss fight like was mm-hmm. a blast like it's just fun you know to be a writer and to yeah. uh, create so so I do have to ask. Do you ha- now? This might be asking what your favorite child is, but <laughs> do you have a favorite book that you guys made for Boss Fight? Oh, is gosh. there like one book that it doesn't have to be about your favorite game? It's just like the one book that what you read it, like you got the pitch, you got the book, it put out. It's like everything about it just blew you away. It's like wow, this guy <laughs> or this person was onto something and they delivered. Is there a book like that for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, there, there's. There's definitely more than one. I, I don't, yeah, I don't want to get too like uh, playing playing favorites uh, w- with it. Um, you can pick five, st- that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, um, but I, I, uh, I could, I can say like numbers wise, there, there is like this one book that for whatever reason, like caught fire in a way that we're still kind of wondering like, okay, well, what's the next one like that? And it's, um, it's the Spelunky book. And, and I do agree that it's a really good one. I, I mean, it's, 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 um, it's one that I like a lot, but that one, um, for, for whatever reason, but, but partly because it was written by Derek, who's the creator of the game and people were really curious to like get his perspective was like, that just became the, like one of the books that people say like, Oh, if you're getting into like indie game development, you should read this. Um, mm-hmm. and so, I think like, and, and just for a lot of creative people, uh, that kind of became an inspiring book. So, um, I'm really glad that that one took off and I'm really like proud of the legacy, uh, of it. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. I like, as for my own taste, it's, it's kind of like, I, I use it as much as I can when I'm like helping people with their books and I'm editing them and I'm kind of like, prodding their arguments being like, okay, but what about this? What about this? What about this? But then eventually like there's a time to just sort of like relax and turn it off and be like, okay. You know, and like, it's, it's that like delicate dance of wanting the book to be as good as possible. And then ultimately it's also their book and it's their Mm -hmm. name on the cover. And like, they need to be proud of it too. Like they need to stand by it. Um, So hopefully we <laughs> like nail that as best we can. Most of the time I, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, I, there, there's always like the editorial, like feeling of like, I, are they, are they hating me? <laughs> like, <laughs> am I, am I, am I being so mean, like make, making all these notes. But I think like the trick to it is you try to keep the end game in sight. You try to like keep the enthusiasm going because it is way more of a marathon than a sprint. And right. so you, you know, try to keep like both of your eyes on the prize in terms of like 
this is going to be a great book and we are we are like on the road there and so mm-hmm. um i don't know i i'm i'm really proud of of our authors i like i'm really impressed with them they brought so many ideas to the table uh and so many stories that like as i said like i never would have thought of and like mm-hmm. this is it's it's such a it's 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 a project that's bigger than me you know i've been the like full time uh, only employee of the press the whole time, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's my, it's my baby, but like mm-hmm. each of these books is like theirs, you know, it's like really right. theirs. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 I yeah, I, <laughs> that, that's it. I'm just, I, I'm proud right. of them. So going on. T- so when I was doing some preliminary research about boss fight, um, not only for the article, but also for this podcast episode, there was a really cool line that I liked about, on your website, like on the about page for like mm. saying in submissions and how, while boss fight is as of right now, it's most well known for documentary style books on certain video games, but you're willing to branch out a little bit more. Can you expand on that a little bit as in what exactly that details, or is it still just a very broad open concept that if you give us a decent idea, we'll go ahead and work with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little of both, right? Because like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of realized at one point, like we could be, making people think like we don't want certain cool books that they're like maybe they're already writing about video games and and, and like i don't want to turn down possibilities before i even hear them right and so like what we started with was kind of like this narrow parameter for what one of these books is going to be like it's about one game and you know it's 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 this uh, you know, it's it's like these many pages. And so, but as time goes on, I just kind of thought about like, oh, okay, like we've been doing that for a while. And then how could we expand on that a little bit? Or like, and so, you know, we haven't really taken any on yet that uh, are doing something radically different. But I will say like, there's been a little bit more uh, willingness to, maybe like there's a book that's about two games at once, like two games in a series. Mm -hmm. And it just makes sense to talk about them both at the same time. So like that kind of thing um, is, is what we've started opening up to. And I could see like, if there's like a history of a particular console or if, you know, there was like a book that someone was writing about a particular game creator that was like so interesting that we, might be able to put it out. We might not put it in the numbered series to like kind of hold it a little bit apart from that thing, but I am interested in doing different things because uh, ultimately I want to put out good books and, mm-hmm. and, and put out really different books. Right. And when you say to um, like two different copies of the game, first thing that came to my mind is Pokemon. Obviously Pokemon mm. ever since the game's inception has two different versions, sometimes yeah. three or four different versions as time goes I think on. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's like, because, I remember I got into a little bit of a, not really a debate with uh, an older show I was a part of, but we were like, hey, which version's better, red, blue, or yellow? And I'm like, they're the same game. Yeah. I was actually yeah. upset. That made me mad. Was like, <laughs> those are like the one guy who, who said, hey, let's debate on this. And he was talking about how Blastoise could be Charizard in a fight. It's like, yeah, I know the type weakness and he has, and Blastoise has better defense. But the, they're the same damn game. Sure. The only difference is that Pikachu, you get the all three starters. That's it. Yeah. And like in, that's a good example of it would be weird to pick one of those and not talk about the other ones. Exactly. Because right? they, yeah. Um, so 
yeah. So, so the, the, there's some stuff like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. I, I think, you know, it's, it's really, it, we did get a few like outside the box pitches, uh, in that way last time. And I really enjoyed considering them. So I don't, I think we're going to continue to leave that up on mm-hmm. our page and see what people come up with. Okay. Now, when it comes to picking books, how many, when you get a bunch of pitches, like you get over a hundred or so pitches per year, correct? Yeah. 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 So when it comes down to like whittling them down, um, how many books are there in like a, a certain print run? As in like how many, not like how many books, I mean, how many titles are there? Um, well, we usually, so yeah, I guess it's like a couple different things. So like mm-hmm. we usually wind up putting the books out in seasons that, uh, are around five. We've okay. done six before we've done four, but yeah, we, uh, five is kind of the average. Um, and which feels like a good number for like, Hey, check out these books and, mm-hmm. um, without getting others lost in the mix. Um, so and we've experimented a little with doing like single game uh, Kickstarters as well. So like those kind of wind up being the groupings, um, mm-hmm. which, as I said before, is like only based on time. You know, it's, it's only right. based on like when it's ready. Like sometimes we'll find a theme within those and be like, oh, all of these have like uh, creators uh, that have been um, interviewed for, for the books or like we did one like all, all of these are a little darker than others. Um, but that's kind of done after the fact, like it's more of a, just kind of our, our way of, uh, I don't know, naming a, a bundle that, um, is, that is at heart, just like here, here's our new books. And so, mm-hmm. um, keeping it going like that. All right. Now, when this, I don't know if this is like too far peeking behind the curtain. Cause as you said, there are times where you and your editors, you, tr- you jockey, you essentially to to put in a, in a, a different te- terminology campaign for certain books to be put to be put out. Now, if a writer were to submit a pitch, and even though some a lot of editors love the idea, they want to do with it, but it does not reach the finish line of it being published, do you guys still hold on to that for future um, for future picks, or do you just or do you say, unfortunately, it wasn't picked this time, and the author just has to try again later? It's usually more of a try again later. Um, okay. There, I mean, there have been instances of like going back to old pitches, but we're mostly trying to focus on the the current set of pitches. Um, but it's an interesting question too, because like, I I will admit that there's been times where I wanted to take on more books, and then looking back, I'm like, I wish that we'd. <laughs> gone for yeah. that one and so but you know and, and and so and sometimes we'll reach out other times you know we'll just kind of let the author know like hey we'd love to hear from you again or or something like that um but yeah uh, then the other part of it is just logistical like it's mm-hmm. a lot of balls to keep in the air uh, and so we want to you know at least do right by the people who have submitted uh you know in, in the current round okay um, uh, I had like another, I had another question, but I completely forgot about it. Shoot. Cause it was essentially about like the submissions ask. Cause what I was ho- hoping to get in is, and to let people know that, cause I've submitted stuff before gotten shot down, obviously. Mm. And I know the, the, you know, rejection, rejection sucks. Let's be real. Yeah, uh, of course. And I'm, so, I'm in the same game. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I understand completely get, um, I completely bet the, why am I rambling on my goodness gracious. 
Oh, like I good. said, sometimes my brain is firing at 100 miles a minute, and sometimes <laughs> I, I can't you. slow can't slow down. Um, so if you were to say to, I'll reach out to others, like, hey, just try again next time. Do they get, uh, send in the same pitch, or do they just say, hey, let me try and rework it a little bit? Have you ever gotten an author who has – you don't have to name names. Essentially, just like a simple yes or no, has there been an author who has submitted a pitch for a video game? has gotten shot down like maybe once or twice and then finally they got picked did they change the pitch up a little bit or did they rework their idea or did they just keep sending in the same thing over and over and over again until it finally got picked um if they sent the same thing they usually like at least add to it or change it up somewhat um so yeah they're kind of like building upon the last version but yeah we Mm -hmm. do see people uh show up with the a, a version of the same pitch before and you know sometimes it's like oh well, we're in a better place to to take it or or maybe like in some cases it's like oh i know more about that game than i used to you know like i <laughs> i and, and the other editors like have more interest in that game because it's like come into uh it it, it, it like it's it's um it's something that we've like played since then or that kind of mm-hmm. thing so like and and that is like one thing that I want to stress is like there's an aspect to it that is totally like non-scientific and not even based on quality, but like just a a, a, a few of us kind of doing the best we can. And so like right. I do not think that we like make all the the best or the smartest calls every single time uh, because I mean, I know that there's that like we we have left some really great books on the table, and sometimes I like I I uh, think about those, but you know, uh, we're um, yeah, we're 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 just yeah. um, we're trying. Okay, now obviously, as an editor, I assume you have to try to be as unbiased as possible when picking books. But mm. has there ever been a book that's come across your desk? where you see the title or the game it's based on and you instantly go, yes, I loved this game as a kid. I cannot wait to read it. Or you look at it and you go, God, I hate that game. Why this one (laughs) has like the title of the game ever swayed as now I a hundred percent get you try to be as like as neutral as possible and just look at the content and what the idea is. Mm. But has a game has a title of a game ever swung you one way into like yes i'm gonna try and jockey for this as good as it can because i love this game or it's like i really hate this game but let's see what this guy's got well yeah that's a good question i've never gone full yes just based on the game alone because it's Mm -hmm. always about the take right and like there's games that i love that you know um we that we have not done books about just because like it hasn't lined up either it hasn't been pitched or it was pitched but it's didn't quite feel like the right fit for what we wanted to do um and and then you know but uh, but of course like there's there's games that we're kind of like keeping our eyes open for like oh if the right pitch for this game comes along then like wouldn't that be exciting um but uh, like this other thing happens sometimes which is like somebody pitches something and both the game and the take that they want to have on it is something that like i would never have thought of um and i think like a good example of that is um you know when kyle orland pitched us his um minesweeper book mm-hmm. like i had just never thought about doing a minesweeper book <laughs> you know like or or like <laughs> any like the uh 
Microsoft Entertainment Pack, uh, Solitaire, or any of that. Like it hadn't really entered my mind because it wasn't in the my normal category of video games. Even though, like you know, I played the hell out of Minesweeper. But when he starts talking about like the things that he wants to cover, like how these games traveled so far onto so many computers, like they were so dominant mm-hmm. in Windows in the '90s. And then, you know, getting into the early days of competition for these games and getting into like behind the scenes at Microsoft during an era when Microsoft was not at all sold on like being a game company at all. And they like, they thought it was beneath them, you know? (laughs) And so like somebody had to make the pitch like, hey, if we put a few games on that, people might like this. And so like, you know, I mean, he also just like, it did a very good job with the pitch and just pointing to all these things that were interesting. But I I just think that's like a, that's a great example of never thought of it. Now I'm considering it. And you're pointing to all these things that I agree are interesting. So yes, let's do it. And funny enough, when I got the, the books you sent me to read for the old school gamer article, Minesweeper is one of the books I got. Mm. And quite honestly, I was very excited to read that one because Minesweeper was a game that I know of. I have never learned how to play it. Oh, like, it yeah. like when I was a kid, I would see like I would put up Minesweeper, put like the highest thing and I just start clicking randomly. I wouldn't know what the, I don't know what the numbers mean. I would just be like, oh, I clicked on a mine and the, the happy face is now X out with the tongue sticking out. It's it died. It's funny. It's kind and, of baffling at first. Yeah. It doesn't and, really teach you how to play it. No, but like you said, it's Minesweeper is on, I feel like Minesweeper is on every single Microsoft computer and it's still, it might still be on there. It's kind of like how for me in my generation, Cosmic Pinball was on my windows. And yes, I cannot that's tell you right. how, I cannot tell you how many times or how many hours my younger brother and I would play cosmic pinball not yeah. because of the internet was out we just figured screw it let's play some pinball yeah and now part of want, and now it's like has anyone done a pitch for cosmic pinball because if not i'll look into it i'll shoot Maybe pitch out there. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean and it's it's just like exciting to like hit on a thing that we haven't hit on before and like yeah. you know go into this like part of game history that isn't like well, Nintendo was started in this year and they were doing Hanafuna cards and then mm-hmm. they, you know, like there's certain things it's like at this point, it's like, well, we've we've done that a bunch, um, yeah. which isn't ever like just a no, but, you know, we're kind of looking out for new stories. And so like it's, yeah, it's exciting when it comes up. Um, oh, my ba- I my sister and I played a lot of Jez Ball. Did you play Jez Ball? Was that, I don't believe I it did. was on one of the Microsoft Entertainment packs. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. No, because I remember when I was in my computer typing class, and of course, getting online was very limited because you know you're in school. Sure, the, the broadband is like super protected, and or the internet was super protected, and it's really hard to go to those websites where you could play video games or any sort of video games. I couldn't. I was trying to play a version of Tetris for the longest time, and we just said, "Screw it, we're just gonna play solitaire." And even yeah. our teacher would say, "If you finish the assignment, you could play solitaire." Everyone in class was playing solitaire yeah it was we and these these were 14 15 16 like, like it was a broad range of of ages throughout this computer yeah. class and once we got done with our typing assignments solitaire came up isn't that funny and, to picture like all these teenagers just like playing this nice gentle card game that's been around for ages <laughs> i would remember my my grandmother when she when i was a kid she would be playing solitaire i would be at the table eating my breakfast cereal and she would be playing solitaire and it's because of me playing solitaire in class 
that I learned mm -hmm. how to play in real life. And for a while, I would buy playing cards just so I could play solitaire with them. Yeah. Oh, and that's nice. It's like, well, I'm challenging my inner 84 year old, but I'm playing. Like, I bought it. I went to Las Vegas recently for my best friend's bachelor party. And on the way there, we stopped at a gas station. They had a deck of Space Invader playing cards. I bought them because they yeah. were cool. Yeah. Nice. I mean, a little hard to play solitaire on because, you know, they're not the actual colors of the of the suits. But still, it's like I could play solitaire or I get to play cards with Space Invaders. That's rad. There's this genre that I think is pretty cool. That's like, I mean, that, that we don't really talk about much when we're talking about video games. It's like games that you can play uh, not as video games, but are way easier as video games. Yeah. Uh, one of them, I think, is, is Risk. Uh, a, oh. a game of risk takes forever uh, on on a board, whereas you can get through a <laughs> you can get a, through a quick game of risk if it's doing all the calculations very quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh -huh. I my fiance years ago she bought me Game of Thrones Risk, and that's one of our favorite. We do enjoy playing board games like that, but we only bust it out when we know we're we're like yeah. okay, what time is it? Four o'clock in the afternoon. Cool, we don't have to eat until nine. Yeah, bust I'm out the board. Yeah. I was even, re I'm, I'm not a chess guy, but I was reading about how like chat, I think it's chess.com got people like way more into speed games, like mm. less that you often like less than a minute long games of chess where they're just like firing back and forth, like all crazy, you know, it's like yeah. turning the game. I mean, I guess people play speed chess, but turning the game into something else, like because of the digital. Anything. Yeah. And to, to let my nerd card uh, fly, I was in chess club my yes. freshman year of college and I went to a tournament and while we were playing, they're like, Oh yeah, we have a blitz chess tournament where it's like five minutes. Each player has five minutes on the clock and the second. And if your time, like if you checkmate, you win, but if your time runs up, you lose. Dang. So some people are just like, we're are like getting their clock as little to zero as possible. And they're just like <laughs> constantly, it's like, Dun -dun 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 no longer having time to even think just like, pretty okay. much it's just like how it's like okay i'm just gonna like go for it and pray i don't make a mistake yeah that's cool but but yeah so last question mm. is there a game that you guys have not gotten yet but when it does you know you're going to be excited to work to read about <sighs> like is there now Obviously, it's like, hey, someone needs to write about this game. But is there a video game that you like love growing up or a game that you're very interested in reading about that when it finally does come across your guys' desk, it's like, ooh, you, you get you like you'll you'll perk up a little bit, be like, ooh, I can't wait to read about this. I feel like I should have a really good answer locked and loaded for that. Cause it, it is a good question. I'm so I've, I've, you know, what's like the truth is like, I've almost trained my brain at this point, like not to Okay. <laughs> like, I'm so like, I try to be kind of hands off it, it, like, and, and the truth is like the ones that I got the most excited about independent pitches, like were the ones that I wound up writing, my, writing myself. And so uh -huh. like the, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's like, there's depth, there's there's a bunch of games that I right. that I that I like that I think would be cool to read about, but yeah, I don't I don't think I have that like okay. that white whale game that I'm waiting for. Okay, I mean, hey, that's that's totally fine because 
it's one of those things where it's like i i know it's a it's a bit of an out there but because there's so many games now and what i love about i know i've said it before on this episode but what i love about boss fight is that you have a wide menagerie of games uh, from all different genres from all different systems from all different eras so yeah. it's like because i can only imagine that if i were like to implement myself into the editor's room if i were to come across like any sort of sonic the hedgehog game like my favorite sonic game my favorite video game of all time is sonic cd if sonic cd oh, were to come across my lap and if i didn't write about it first i would be super excited because i have yeah. adored that game i know yeah yeah i think sonic's a great example like because that's one that it feels like we got to get there sometime yeah um, yeah uh, but so actually, okay, I lied. That wasn't my last question because you mentioned for a brief second earlier mm. about the covers. Mm. I love the way you guys do the covers for these books. Um, audio listeners, you won't see it, but in uh, Gabe's background, he has a copy of Majora's Mask, which the cover for that is a beautiful purple hued version of the moon. How did you guys start with the covers? Because I remember earlier you mentioned about you don't want to get sued. You can't really use a whole lot of copyright <laughs> yeah. images. Like even your, uh -huh. your cover for Galaga, true. like your Galaga cover is really cool because it's just a bunch of bugs in a, yes. in a row. Yeah. Uh, is there like a – what's the process for making these really – like for Final Fantasy V, this is – it's just a quartz crystal. But it's mm -hmm. – but because it's a quartz crystal, you look at it. It's like, yeah, that's Final Fantasy. Majora's Mask, the moon. And it how like how hard is it to get a good image for the cover and to make it so that it invokes the game in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, I mean, I think you you landed on what we are looking for is just something that invokes the game. Bonus points if it's playful in some way. But as you see, like that Final Fantasy is is a good example of like it's not particularly playful except for that it's referencing an important item in the game that like makes you immediately think of it. Um, but we're, yeah, we're looking for something that like is going to get a spark of recognition in someone who's already played the game or that at least a spark of interest from somebody who has not played the game. Um, that, uh, that last, uh, year when I was, uh, tabling, um, at the Portland retro expo, uh, and my girlfriend was there with me. Uh, we witnessed this moment where, um, this uh this this guy and his girlfriend were there at the table and he was like oh why does the kingdom hearts 2 book um have these like blue uh ice cream pops on uh why does it have the blue ice cream pop and the the girlfriend just pretended to walk away in disgust she's like i'm disowning you. <laughs> um as a diehard kingdom hearts fan as in i have a kingdom hearts tattoo over my heart whoa yeah Dang. it's yeah it's it's the kingdom king the ultimate weapon from kingdom hearts one over the kingdom hearts heart um nice yeah i, I absolutely love that game series oh, that's, that's awesome i blame kingdom hearts for getting into final fantasy and a lot of other like where sonic got me my start sonic got me my start Mega Man had me stay kingdom hearts was the like the stamp of approval essentially yeah. oh nice yeah but yeah because for that cover it's the sea salt ice cream yes and i'm like I'm actually mad at myself. I didn't pick up Kingdom Hearts, the Kingdom Hearts book when I was there because I was at Portland Retro Gaming Expo last year. Oh, okay. And I saw I bought this at that booth last if year. If you go this year, come say hi. Not only that, mm. I got it signed. All right. Chris nice. was there. I, yeah. I bought both the Chris. Funny enough, how we were talking about how there's like a, a lot more video game books nowadays. When I was at PRGE last year, unfortunately, I won't be there this year due to other stuff going on in life. I will yeah. try to my best to be there next year, though. Fingers crossed. Right. But I felt like I bought more books 
at mm. PRGE than I did video games. I did buy some video games. I kind of have to. I feel like it's a it's a law or you're going against the Geneva Convention you and you don't. But I bought a lot of literature. I bought books. And I was more excited about the books I bought than the games I was going to play. That's great. Well, that's what I love about Portland Retro too. Like, though, it feels like when I'm tabling there, like those are our people, right? Because it's people yeah. who love games, but particularly love old games and like remembering them and are nostalgic for them, but also like are interested in the, the history and with like engaging with them uh, on a deeper level. And so, like, it's perfect. I hit like, uh, and, and like, it's, it's so fun to meet people there and to, uh, you know, some of whom know about us and some we're, we're kind of like introducing them to the books for the first time. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, but yeah. um, you were asking about the, the cover. I mean, but what we usually do is like, we'll have a little uh, like uh, email chain where we're just throwing out ideas, uh-huh. you know, and like really like looking for the, the objects that could be really cool references and you know right. and I, like and the idea of like the moon for majora's mask it's like that's maybe the most iconic thing in it but like when we uh kind of had the idea of like let's see if we can make it really close up though like it's yeah. it's already like coming upon you then uh i don't know that then it made it seem extra fun no i actually i'm so glad you did that because i'm just trying to think like, because I see the copy of Mordor's Mask behind you, and I'm just thinking about it. Because, like, the the main plot of the game is the moon is falling on uh, Termina, and you have to save them. Yeah. Like, if I could, if I was the only other thing that I think could work with Majora's Mask as a as a cover, would possibly be the um the comedy and draw and tragedy masks, like oh, the drama cool. masks. Yeah. Because there are, let's, because there are some really funny bits in the game. Like you have a hand coming out of a toilet. I mean, that's funny. Yeah. But majority of the game is complete tragedy. Like when, like there's so many theories. I, I don't know what's I apologize. I, cause I feel like I should have read the book. I haven't yet. Oh, it's once okay. I, I swear, next time I see you guys at a booth, I really hope I have a fact stack of cash. Cause your boy be <laughs> dropping some dollars yes. at that point in time. Uh, but like there are so many theories that the game is the going through the five stages of grief. You have Terminal who's in denial. You have um the Deku Scrub or the the you have the Deku Scrub who's in um who's in uh, um like anger or you have like one of the Gorons who's in anger. You have the Zora who's bargaining. You have a whole bunch of other yeah. And, and until uh, up until you get to the final boss, which is a uh, finally acceptance of death right and once again when video games take these grand themes and they just throw them in there and when you're playing them when you're a kid you don't notice them but then once you see them again as adult you go oh i i finally am picking up what these creators and developers are putting down and the game just hits a whole lot harder yeah yeah absolutely well uh yeah your your teaser for the book is i i do engage with that theory uh it, it gets some time you know and, and that one, and especially the uh, the the link is dead theory, which yeah. uh, was, was also a very popular internet one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of that one because I don't like playing as a dead link. But at the same time, <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the same time, when t- people talk about Majora's Max or even because I have the Hyrule Historia, I I haven't read it cover to cover, but I've read the timeline bit a lot. And as if I can understand the Kingdom Hearts timeline. I don't know how I could somewhat understand the Zelda timeline because even now I'm like, this is some bonkers crap, y'all. Yeah, well, and it's it's fabricated absolutely after the fact. I mean, and and they and 
they have delivered uh, other timelines in the past that directly contradict it because in each timeline, they're just trying to make the fans happy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and they, uh, I, I, I believe that the one that they settled on is based on s- stuff that fans put together and they kind of looked yeah. at that and they were like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Let's go with that one. And at the same time, I was just totally okay with Zelda just being Zelda. It's like Final Fantasy. Yeah. Every Final Fantasy game, unless there's a numeric number, not the Roman numeral, attached to it, it's yeah. a completely different universe. I was That's so exactly old. how I think about it. Like, yes, uh, like Majora is a sequel to Ocarina, so you do have those. But like mm-hmm. most of the time, it's just hard reset. Yeah. I mean, or like Link Between Worlds is a sequel to Link in the Past, or yes. even more, like more specifically, Tears of the Kingdom, oh, direct yeah. sequel to Breath of the Wild. That I feel like very Breath direct. Of the Wild, like Breath of the Wild and Tears is the most direct sequel Zelda sequel can get. Yeah, because even though oh yeah, like Majora and Link Between Worlds, I would more call them spiritual successors than anything. I think even when they announced that they were making Link Between Worlds, they said this was a spiritual successor. Of link mm. of link to the past, yeah. As like they're bringing back the overhead map, they're doing a whole bunch of other stuff with it. But here's a new mechanic. Here's more. Here's a, like the fact that Link can turn into a painting, which I thought was amazing. Really oh, cool. here's a new way to get items, and of course the the famous hey, start with any dungeon you want. Does not matter. Once you open the world, go pick a direction, go that way. Mm. And it's it was one of those things. I was like, I was like, yeah, this is great. And of course, if once I finally do go to Link to the Past, it's like, yeah, this I can see where Link to the Worlds or Link Between Worlds got X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but I was just fine with Zelda just being Zelda. I don't need this whole like, oh, if Ocarina is yeah. the crux because if when Link does, if Link lives, this is this I is know. what happens and all that jazz. People get very into the grand architecture of yeah. everything, uh, which it's it's fun to think about, but it's. Definitely not like what the developers are thinking about when no. they like start a new game. But yeah, <laughs> it, I, I but I that all that said, I love the way Tears plays with Breath of the Wild. And, Me too. And like plays with our expectations for everyone who's played it. And it's like it's so smart. It's so cool. Plays with our emotions too. Yeah. I mean, you like when I found like when you were talking about how to get the Master Sword, and not to spoil it for people who haven't played the game just yet, but you do know why it's called Tears of the Kingdom. And I almost cried. I was yeah. on the verge of tears. I was, like I said, that was one of the things that made me want to go straight to Gandorf and just beat him down. Because yeah. I was mad. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. how dare you do that thing to that person? That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't... I, I think I'm just a heartless bastard. And I so, <laughs> so I, I don't, like, think of it that way. But I do think of it like, you know, that Master Sword moment. I'm like, this is beautiful. You know, just mm-hmm. like as as a as a like freestanding moment in a video game and all, all the stuff that you had to do to get there it's just so yeah. well orchestrated it is it's it's yeah i mean hey nintendo found the secret sauce when they do something right they do something right they really care and yeah. it shows they definitely do well on that note i believe that's everything i got for you gabe yes ben this is fun that this was an absolute blast. So every so Gabe, does Boss Fight Books have any social media presence at all? And if they do, where can you find where can people find Boss Fight? Yes. So on uh social, we're we're on just about everything right now. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, like pretty soon. 
one of the uh, social media platforms will again reign supreme the way Twitter once did. And then we'll yeah. focus our efforts on that. For now, yeah. we're just lightly doing all of them. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're, we're kind of, uh, but uh, I would say um, if folks want to get on our mailing list, um, we're not super annoying, We but we will let you know uh, when we got a new book coming out or we got a sale or something like that. Um, so if you go to bossfightbooks.com, you can buy any of our books directly from us there, uh, both uh, hard copies and uh, eBooks. And then uh, also there's a link at the bottom uh, for our mailing list. Yeah. And of course you could find me. I mean, if you've been watching this podcast or listening to the show, you know where you can find me, but just in case it's your first time ever, you could find me at Ben Mac 27 everywhere. And of course, hosting a uh, fake nerd podcast with my bros. But if you want to know any other stuff that uh, the fake nerd family shows are doing, fakenerdpodcast.com. And I hope, and hopefully when this episode goes up, it will be Portland, Richard, it will be before Portland. So if it is cool, but if it's not bossfightsbooks.com, all their books are there. You could get them off there. Once again, had I had more money in my account, I would have been like, I want that one and that one and yes. that one and that one. You know, dr dropping fat stacks. We're very collectible. I gotta you, say. You, seriously, the fact that you guys have a number on the spines of the book just makes it even more like, I, I'm not mad. It doesn't make <laughs> me mad, but I'm trying to scale down parts of my collection. But I at the know. same time, it's just like having a whole number set is just like, ah. Uh. But as also, a gentleman who's got to catch them all. You, Why you know did you the do this? I, I know. Especially since I really started playing the started getting into <laughs> Pokemon, the trading card game. Like I finally learned how to play that through last year. I went to Portland, bought a hard copy of the Game Boy Color game, nice. found out how to play the card game 25 years after the fact. Uh, yeah. So there's always new ways to engage. Always new ways to engage. But yes, go ahead, follow Boss Fight, go at their website, look at the books, and also uh, the rules of submitting stuff is on their website as well. Now, uh, right now, open season is closed, but do you know when open season will essentially open back up again for people who want to submit pitches? Yeah, I, I right now what we're looking at is like early next year. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll be like starting to wrap up work on the the, the final uh, book of the season, which is um, Kelsey's uh, Animal Crossing book. Um, nice. that you mentioned before and um and then we're going to be uh yeah looking looking to the future so early next <laughs> year okay. yes get that to, okay oh i'm sorry don't mind me totally making notes for something completely <laughs> different link <laughs> anyways Gabe, it has been an absolute blast and of course when you're listening to this be on the lookout for old school gamer uh magazine the at the time of this recording i believe it's issue 38 I could be wrong when it's coming out, but this upcoming November, when that issue of OSGs comes out, I will be, have written an article about Boss Fight books, about the three books, which is Day of the Tentacle, Minesweeper, and Galaga. I'll be writing about those books and, mm. of course, the whole process of getting a book from Boss Fight. So, Gabe, once again, thank you so much for not only talking to me on my show, but for talking to me for the article on Old School Gamer. It has been an absolute pleasure, and I truly thank you for your time. Oh, Ben, it's been a blast. Thank you, man. Of course. And, and was, if you want to come back on the show and talk about books or promote books, you have an open invite. Just send me an email and we'll get a recording day set up. Oh, awesome. That'd be great. All right. Well, until next time, everyone, unpause and get to reading.